Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 38. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss obesity in pets, just how big of a problem it is, and what natural remedies you can use starting today. Bone cancer explained, exactly what is it, along with my holistic solution. And lastly, I'm going to discuss this little known yet powerful antioxidants for diabetes, brain disease, and even cancer. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. Just go to iTunes to search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. Once I can go to Stitcher and search for Veterinary Secrets. If you've yet to do so, I'd encourage if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. As well, if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos at veterinarysecrets.com or slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Obesity in our pets. An estimated 53% of U.S. dogs are considered overweight. That equates to 43.8 million U.S. dogs. An estimated 58% of cats are considered overweight. That equates to 55 million cats. Uh, So what are some of the primary risks of excess weight in our pets? Increased risk of arthritis or osteoarthritis. Insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Elevated blood pressure, high blood pressure. Heart and respiratory disease. Ligament disease, you know, especially thinking about cranial cruciate ligament injury. Kidney disease especially in our cat. Many, many, many types of cancer. On top of that, a decreased life expectancy up to two and a half to three years. So the majority of our nation's dogs and cats continue to be overweight, yet most pet owners aren't aware of the problem. This is according to new research from the the Association for Pet Obesity, APOP. The 8th Annual National Pet Obesity Prevalence Survey conducted by APOP found that 58% of U.S. cats and 53% of dogs were overweight. The study also found a significant quote-unquote fat pet gap in which 90% of owners of overweight cats and 95% of owners of overweight dogs incorrectly identified their pet as a normal weight. The fat gap continues to be a challenge for pet owners and veterinarians, says Dr. Ernie Ward. Pet owners think that their obese dog or cat is a normal weight, making confronting obesity difficult. No one wants to think that their pet is overweight, and overcoming or denial is the first battle. The re- research showed that an increase specifically in the obese category. In 2013, we saw 16.7% of dogs and 27.4% of cats were classified as clinically obese, where in 2014, this went up to 178 8% of dogs and almost 30% of cats being reported as obese. A veterinary orthopedic specialist, Dr. Steve Budsberg, he said this, the sad truth is that most people cannot, can't identify an obese dog or cat. We're seeing an increasing number of obese pets and the diseases that accompany excess fat, reports Dr. Julie Churchill, a veterinary nutritionist. Type 2 diabetes, osteoarthritis, high blood pressure, and many forms of cancer are associated with obesity in pets. It's critical pet owners understand an overweight dog or cat is not health. So how can you tell if your dog or cat is overweight? I'm going to read to you the body condition score, then give you a link under the podcast so you can look at it. One, two, three. Your pet is too thin. This is rated the body condition score of one, two, or three. Primarily with this, the ribs are easily palpable, maybe visible, with no palpable fat. That's feeling the side of your dog or cat's ribs. The tops of the vertebrae, called the lumbar vertebrae, along your dog or cat's back, are very visible. Pelvic bones are very prominent. The ideal weight is a rating between four and five. So in this, we're feeling that the side of your dog or cat's ribs are easily palpable with minimal fat covering them. The waist is easily noted and when you're viewing your pet from above or behind, the belly of the abdomen is sort of tucked in. Then the rating is where your dog or cat is overweight, it's too heavy. And that goes from a rating of 6 to 9, where an example here, the ribs are palpable with difficulty, heavy fat is covering them, there can be noticeable fat deposits over the back area, the lumbar area, and the base of the tail. The waist is considered absent or barely visible and there's no sort of tucking of the abdomen. 
So what can you do for weight loss with your dog or your cat? Well, in general, a good goal is to aim for one is at one to two percent of the body weight per week. In practice, I would typically calculate 15% weight loss and aim for that in a three to four month period. Rapid weight loss can lead to rapid weight return, um, puts your pet at increased risk of things like liver disease, and in some cases, a, m- a m- more serious condition called hepatic lipidosis, which we see in cats. Personally, I've always had the best results in these elevated protein diets, which include at least 50% canned. No question, cats respond best to only canned cat food. Cut out the treats, especially the high carbohydrate ones. Commit to exercising your dog twice daily for at least 30 minutes, and feed only the measured amount of food based on your dog or cat's weight. What are some of the supplements you can consider? Here's ones that have helped with me. One is carnitine. It's been shown to speed up weight loss in cats. The dose is 250 milligrams per day. It's been included in some weight reduction programs because of its effect on the utilization of fat by the body. DHEA, dihydroepidesterone, it's been shown to have anti-obesity activity in rodents. A recent study at the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine demonstrated that DHEA, while being on a weight reduction program, lost weight faster and had lower cholesterol levels than those dogs were on a weight reduction program alone. Coenzyme Q is essential for energy production at the cellular level. It's been shown to benefit people with various heart and muscle diseases, also helps with periodontal disease, helps with cardiac disease. Again, studies of its effects on obese animals are currently underway. It's been shown to be safe with no adverse effects demonstrated in animals, according to Nutramax, a company which produces coenzyme Q in the oral form for dogs, cats, and horses. Green tea. It's gained popularity for weight loss. It's also a rich source of wonderful antioxidants, safe to give daily, also great for us, great substitute for coffee. You can give it in the tea form, substitute green tea for your pet's water, and assess results in 30 days. Colostrum. It's been shown to help with weight loss by increasing muscle mass. The increased muscle leads to increased metabolism and loss of fat. Increasingly, number of athletes are using colostrum. It's a safe nutrient to consider adding to your overweight pet's diet. The last one is probiotics. These are these healthy bacteria which colonize your and your pet's intestinal tract. And researchers are finding that increasingly important for health and they may be helped with weight loss in people and pets. Dog supplements with the probiotic lactobacillus gasseri may help with weight loss in people with and it may help weight loss in people with obese tendencies according to new research. The study extends previous findings which showed that this specific probiotic LG2055 may reduce fat levels, obesity, and fat cells in animals. My last little word about probiotics is there's a big increasing link around of our animals and our own predetermined weight from what happens when we're young. And there's a real big, big thought now that, that sort of that good bacteria, those probiotics, have such a big key marker on our metabolism and how we and likely we can assume the same things. Our pets sort of deal with weight and how they're able to lose weight and manage their body mass. So my big point in all of that is really, if you've got a, an overweight pet and you have all these different supplements, look at all of them. But in particular, just make sure that you're starting to supplement your dog or your cat with some good healthy probiotics. So let's get on to the second part of today's podcast and it's about bone cancer. It's called osteosarcoma. So what is it? So osteosarcoma itself is by far the most common bone tumor of the dog, usually striking the leg bones, the longer, those longer bones of our larger breeds. It usually occurs in middle age or old dogs but occur in a dog of any age. Larger breeds tend to develop tumors at younger ages. It can develop in any bone but the the limbs account for 75 to 85% of affected 
connective bones. When it's on the limbs, it's called appendicular osteosarcoma. It develops deep within the bone and becomes progressively more painful. It grows outward, and the bone is destroyed from the inside out. The lameness goes from an intermittent to constant one over one to three months. There can be an obvious swelling becoming evident as the tumor grows and the normal bone is replaced by tumorous bone. The tumorous bone is not as strong as normal bone and it can break with minor injury. This type of broken bone is called a pathological fracture and it may be the finding that confirms the diagnosis of bone tumor. Pathological fractures will not heal and there's no point in putting on casts or attempting surgical stabilization. You know, I can relate that to my own dad. Um, he He was diagnosed with bladder cancer, it spread to his femur, and he ultimately ended up with a fractured femur and that's how we learned that it the bladder cancer had spread. How did you know that your dog has osteosarcoma? The big point there is getting an x-ray and they're pretty sort of path, they're pretty diagnostic. Generally you're going to see those pretty classic changes on, a, on an x-ray that is that is pretty consistent only really with osteosarcoma. There's a lytic lesion where it looks like an area of the bone has been eaten away and often there can be a sunburst pattern where there's almost this, this radiation of sort of eaten away bone type cells on the edge of that tumor site. It's so it's pr- generally pretty obvious. Sometimes you can also see a pathological fracture at the site of the x-ray. If you're not, if your veterinarian is not sure, they can have that sent away and referred to a specialist who can confirm it. They really really want to be 100%. You can go ahead and have a biopsy taken. That can confirm it too. Some of the other diseases that cannot, that could be, um, be missed. Uh, misconstrued for osteosarcoma. There's things called chondrosarcoma. It's a cartilage tumor. It can look similar. Squamous cell tumor or squamous cell carcinoma can look somewhat similar. Uh, Synovial cell sarcoma, that's the lining the synovial cells or the cells that line the joint capsule itself, they can look somewhat similar and thus you can have a fungal bone infection, especially if you've got, if you happen to live in the San Joaquin Valley and the disease is known as valley fever and more scientifically the condition is called coccidiomycosis. So then with the treatment of osteosarcoma, you know, what do you do? Well, there's two primary aspects involved treating the pain and fighting the spread of the cancer. So how do we treat the pain? In general, you have to keep in mind that many dogs are euthanized due to the pain in the affected bone. So there's a couple of big things. We're, we're wanting to treat that pain successfully and allow your dog to live as long and comfortably as possible. So the first big thing you can actually look at and consider is amputation. Um, removing, obviously, removing the affected limb resolves the pain in 100% of the cases. Unfortunately, there's many clients who are reluctant to have this procedure done. Primarily, there's a number of misconceptions. They think that while losing a leg is handicapping to a person, dogs generally, they accommodate so, so well. You know, once surgery is done, they're fine. While losing a limb is very disfiguring to a person, and we have these huge issues around it, dogs don't mind. I mean, they're not self-conscious. The other big thing is the median survival time for dogs who do not receive chemotherapy for osteosarcoma, unfortunately, is only four to five months. The time of diagnoses, regardless of whether or not they have an amputation. But the big point of thinking, considering amputation, is that then you've actually got this 100% pain-free, and they're happy. So the issue becomes with osteosarcoma period is generally by the time we see it and diagnose it on x-ray, it's already spread. So then the the secondary issues become what is quality of life, and you've really got to make those decisions. Do you go through chemotherapy? Do you go through surgery? Do you do nothing at all? Big issues. So I want to add in some other alternative or holistic options to consider as well. One, bisphosphonates. They're used to treat osteoporosis and help lower high calcium. Seen in certain types of cancer in people, the most common bisphosphonate is called Fosamax or oral aldan. Renate. In bone cancer, they can inhibit osteoclasts, the cells that cause bone lysis, as well as directly kill bone cancer cells, and be a great source of pain control. If used, you need to discuss with your veterinarian. Dose is 40 milligrams per day for a large breed dog, or 70 milligrams every other day. 
what are you eating? Do not give food or supplements containing iron. Cancer cells can thrive on carbohydrates and protein, but not cannot grow as fast on fast with fats. There's specific veterinary anti-cancer diets been designed for this. And what I'm doing, I'm going to put a link under this podcast uh, to this specific veterinary anti-cancer diet. Pain control. No question, adequate pain control is key for osteosarcoma. It's a very painful disease. Um, first, you can start considering something like aspirin in dogs. The ASA dose is 325 milligrams, one regular tablet per 40 pounds of body weight given twice daily. You can be giving a quarter of a tablet to a 10-pound dog. If side effects are seen, such as diarrhea or vomiting, then stop. I recommend uncoated regular aspirin. Your veterinarian can prescribe stronger pain relief medications such as meloxicam or narcotic pain control such as tramadol and other holistic options to consider some of the homeopathics such as arnica or homeopathic combination where you could use a cream in conjunction with a tablet called tromiel. Antioxidants. Some of the antioxidants have been shown to slow the growth and spread of some types of cancer. Some of those to consider vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium. The doses of those 100 milligrams per 10 pounds body weight daily of vitamin C 100 international units per 10 pounds body weight daily of the vitamin E and the selenium dose, 25 micrograms per 10 pounds twice daily. Flavonoids, a variety of, d- of different ones, have specific anti-cancer properties. I'd have you purchase a mixed bioflavonoid product, and in particular, make sure it includes EGCG, that's a specific flavonoid isolated from green tea. The dose for a 10-pound dog would be 250 milligrams per day. You'll want to make sure your dog is on high doses of EFAs, <clears throat> a minimum dose of 1,000 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily and that be be equating to about one teaspoon of flax oil twice a day per 10 pounds it's a real high dose of the efas you can also look at doing something similar with fish oil glutamine this amino acid may help in inhibiting tumor growth as well as in dealing with some of the adverse effects of chemotherapy the dose is 500 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily curcumin particularly when you look at the 95 percent curcuminoids um, that's the active ingredient that comes from turmeric and you're looking at a dose of about 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. One big herb in particular that is shown to be somewhat helpful for osteosarcoma is artemisinin, also known as wormwood. It has been studied at the University of Washington, so at the WSU Veterinary School. The active ingredient, when the active ingredient comes into contact with high iron concentrations, which are common in some of the cancerous cells, the molecule becomes unstable and the cancer cells die. There's a range of doses for it. A typical dose is 20 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Generally, the most important herbs are ones that will help pets' organs rid themselves of waste products. So some of these other herbal treatments were just are supportive, knowing that these organs are trying to metabolize different things that's going into your dog or cat's body, nothing sort of manage and deal with the cancer that's ongoing. And so you want to think of something like the Essiac or Hoxie formulas, and then they're specifically to support the organs. A couple other ones to consider, Astragalus, it's a traditional Chinese herb that has been shown to stimulate certain cells important for the immune system. The dose is 600 milligrams per 10 pounds of the dried herb or one drop per pound twice daily of the tincture. Now I'm going to get into the last part of today's podcast and in it I was discussing a specific antioxidant. It's got a whole number of potential beneficial effects. It's called alpha lipoic acid. It's an antioxidant made by the body. It's found in every cell where it helps turn glucose into energy. Antioxidants attack free radical waste products created by the when the body turns food into energy. Free radicals cause harmful chemical reactions that can damage cells, making it harder for the body to fight off infections. They also damage organs and tissues. Other antioxidants work only in water, such as vitamin C, or fat, fatty tissues, such as vitamin E. But alpha-lipoic acid in particular works both in fat 
and water. It's fat and water soluble. That means it can work throughout the body. Antioxidants in the body are used as they attack free radicals, but evidence suggests alpha-lipoic acid may help regenerate these other antioxidants and make them active again. In the cells of the body, alpha-lipoic acid is chained to another acid called dihydrophilic acid. Alpha-lipoic acid is not the same as alpha-linoleic acid, which is an omega-3 fatty acid. So let's talk about some of its specific uses. Ones in diabetes, several studies suggest that alpha-lipoic acid may help lower blood sugar levels. Its ability to kill free radicals may help people, for instance, with diabetic peripheral neuropathy, and potentially also with their dogs. In people, you can have pain, burning, itching, tingling, and numbness in the arms and legs from nerve damage. Alpha-lipoic acid has been used for years to treat peripheral neuropathy in Germany. However, most of the studies have found that they've, they've been using it as an IV form, so they're not clear yet whether taking it orally will be beneficial or not. Taking alpha-lipoic acid may help another diabetes-related condition called autonomic neuropathy, which, which affects the nerves to the internal organs. One study of 73 people with cardiac autonomic neuropathy, which affects the heart, found that subjects reported fewer signs of the condition when taking the oral tablets of 800 milligrams of alpha-lipoic acid orally compared to the placebo. Brain and stroke function. Because alpha-lipoic acid can pass easily into the brain, it may help protect the brain and nerve tissue. Researchers are investigating it as a potential treatment for stroke and other brain problems involving free radical damage such as dementia. Um, so in particular, you, I would be considering it for any time you've got any type of the nerve-related disorders, or if we've got a dog that's got canine cognitive dysfunction. Huge one to consider. A couple of other big things, the last other one big thing to consider is when we're looking at alpha-lipoic acid in terms of treating for, for some of the cancers. Once again, we're, we're wanting to have these high-level antioxidants because we know what's going There's all these different changes going on within your dog or your cat's body when they're dealing with cancer. So once again, I would be considered alpha-lipoic acid in particular um, when we've got a pretty aggressive form of cancer and you're trying to decide what other supplement could I give. Some of the dietary sources, well, interestingly, it's found in red meat, organ meat such as liver, and yeast, particularly brewer's yeast, which many um, pet owners would give to their dogs or cats um, to try to be used as a preventive to help um, repel fleas. So, so what are some doses? For general antioxidant support, we're looking at a dose of 5 milligrams per 10 pounds daily. And for some of the more serious conditions, diabetes, diabetic neuropathy, um, potentially for cancer, we'll be looking at a much higher dose of 30 milligrams per 10 pounds per day in divided doses. Thank you guys today for listening to today's podcast. This is Dr. Jones. I hope you got some good information out of it. As I said earlier, I'm going to be posting some of those specific links under today's podcast, and that'll be on my blog at theinternetpetvet.com. If you have any questions or suggestions, either send me an email, that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com, or make a comment on my blog at theinternetpetvet.com. Once again, and thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again next week. This is Dr. Andrew Jones.